Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Hope your week has been good. Magpies taken apart last weekend, black and white feathers everywhere. It gives us a nice way to get into a quiet week. This is what happens when you win, of course. We've talked about this quite a lot this season. The fact that, you know, you win, you talk about it for a day, and that's kind of it because there isn't the same level of analysis needed when you're winning games. And, uh, you know, I, for one, am pretty much here for all these quiet weeks if it means that Arsenal win and continue to win. All eyes, from a football perspective, of course, were on midweek action in the Champions League, Champions League semifinals on Tuesday and Wednesday. I thought these were really interesting games. So we're going to explore this a little bit in this episode. First up Tuesday, Real Madrid versus Manchester City. I was hoping, of course, that Manchester City would have a difficult game. I think they did have a difficult game. Not quite as difficult as some of the other ones. It was a bit more technical and not quite as physical. I was looking at the stats for this one in there quarterfinals against Bayern Munich. Manchester City ran in both games, collectively about 120 kilometers in both those games. In the first game against Real Madrid on Tuesday night, they ran 109 kilometers. So they weren't really physically tested in the way that they were against Bayern. But of course, the technical level of both those sides in that game on Tuesday night was was unbelievable, really good. We know, of course, how good Manchester City are and Real Madrid. Well, they don't win this competition by accident, right? They went ahead. Vinicius Jr. scored a brilliant goal. Kevin De Bruyne scored a brilliant goal. It was 1-1. And I was looking at those two teams and thinking, when you get to this stage of the competition, this is this is what you've got to do. This is how good you've got to be. And I thought, you know, we've got a bit of a way to go in that regard, to get to that level and stay at that level on a consistent basis. And then I looked at the second semifinal on Wednesday between AC Milan and Inter, I thought to myself, well, we don't have that much to be scared about when you look at these two teams. These old guys at Inter Milan scoring goals to put them 2-0 up very early in the game. Edin Dzeko, remember him? Played for Man City, of course, back in the day. And uh, a certain Henrik Mkhitaryan scoring Inter's second goal. Mickey. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, okay. Real Madrid, Man City, they're at one level. But AC Milan and Inter... You know, not quite there. And I thought about us and I thought about the players that we have. And on a technical level, I think, you know, we're, we're, we don't have much to be afraid of when it comes to those teams. Which isn't to say I think it's going to be easy. I think we've got a big adjustment to make when it comes to Champions League football. 
but it made me excited about what we're going to do. But I think there is a wider discussion to be had about that, and we are going to talk about it uh, on this week's show. The other main thing from this week, and I know it's not entirely new, is the talk of Bakayo Saka's new contract being ready to go, and perhaps that an announcement could be made sooner rather than later. And by the way, whoever's in charge of stuff and things at Arsenal.com and the, uh, the Arsenal app, I saw what you did yesterday. I was in the kitchen making dinner absentmindedly. I got a notification on my phone from the Arsenal app. Saka signing, it said. Except when I looked a little bit closer, it was not Saka signing. It was Saka singing, doing the carpool thing with Frimmy. You shouldn't tease like that, guys. Honestly. But Bakayo Saka's contract is something we'll talk about as well. Related to Bakayo Saka, we've got a bit of a competition for you a bit later on as well. We've got a couple of Bakayo Saka t-shirts to give away. We'll give you details of that after we speak to our guest this week. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show for the first time. He is a features writer for Sky Sports. He's done some excellent stuff on Arsenal this season. It's Nick Wright. Hi, Nick. Hello, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. My pleasure. Let's begin by talking about Champions League and, you know, in a quiet Arsenal week, everyone was looking at maybe Manchester City getting the run around from Real Madrid, but a, a very high-level technical game took place in the Bernabeu and they drew 1-1. And I don't know what you were thinking when you were watching it, but I know I was thinking, these teams are these teams are really good. And we know about Man City already and obviously we know about Real Madrid, but then I watched the second game and I was like, you know, I mean... If this is what it takes to get to a Champions League semi-final, you know, maybe Arsenal could go toe-to-toe with the Milan clubs, for example. But what I think is an interesting angle on this is is the length of time it has been since Arsenal have played a, a Champions League game. The last one was on the 7th of March 2017, a home defeat to Bayern Munich 5-1. It wasn't our, our, our best night. But it's an interesting thing to consider, isn't it, that that going back into this level of competition is going to provide a new kind of challenge, not just for the players, but for Mikel Arteta, his coaching staff, and, and for the club itself. I think it is, yeah. And you watch that, um, as you say, you watch the Real Madrid-Man City game, and it's sort of a slightly terrifying prospect from an Arsenal perspective, isn't it, to think of um, going into that competition and, and trying to compete with those teams. But, you know... I, I I think it's uh, it's obviously a hugely exciting prospect as well, and it's exactly what the club have been working towards, and, and should be something that fans are excited about. I mean, as you say, it is going to change the way Mikel Arteta works with his team and operates with his team. You know, you think about this season. I think Arsenal have made the fewest lineup changes in the Premier League this season, and that's obviously not going to be possible with Champions League football as well. You know, the the rotation will need to increase. There'll need to be a real emphasis on depth. I mean. You look at Man City in that game against Real Madrid, they made six changes to the team that played Leeds a few days earlier. You know, you think of Arsenal now making six changes and sustaining the level would be impossible, wouldn't it? And that's that's really why Arteta hasn't done that. He just doesn't have those resources. So there is a huge gap to make up there and that's a big challenge for the team. But, um, you know, it's an exciting prospect. And I think I agree with what you wrote this morning in your blog. You know, I think technically, I mean... I think the team is of a level where it can compete. You know, it's it's not so much that side of it that that I would worry about from an Arsenal perspective. It is more the the you know making sure that the squad is equipped to um, to really give it a good go. Yeah, I have to give a shout out to Nigel Phillips from the Arsenal Supporters Trust who sent me an email last week to to talk about the wage gap between Arsenal and Manchester City, and it's 
around about £125 million, which is the equivalent of 12 players on £200,000 a week. So that gives you an idea of what Arsenal are trying to compete with. And I'm not saying City have 12 more players on 200 grand a week, but that is what their wage bill allows them to do. Um, and it is one of the challenges, like you say, is going to be figuring out the the way he rotates and the way he mixes and matches his squad because it's going to be very different from what we've been used to in Europe over the last five or six years. There was that season where we didn't have Europe, but when you're in the Europa League, when you're in the Europa League group stages, you say, well, look, this is a great opportunity for us to, in inverted commas, rest players ahead of important Premier League games. But I think what's been a big part of the Europa League for Arsenal over the last number of years is the fact that in a period of transition, in a period of rebuild, whatever way you want to call it, it's been a brilliant way to blood and develop young players. So, you know, we've got Bakayo Saka, we've got Emile Smith-Rowe, we've seen Joe Willock come through and get a £30 million move to Newcastle. Eddie Nketi has come through. Flo Balagun has played games in the in the Europa League. Um, Reese Nelson, another one who's, who's, who's had a lot of minutes. You can't do that in the Champions League. You just can't do that. So the two-tier squad system, if you like, isn't going to be in operation. And some players, perhaps this season, might have suffered a little bit or, or not been able to show their true level because they're coming into a team where there have been seven or eight or nine changes going into a game. Whereas maybe next season, somebody like Fabio Vieira is going to have to come into a, a little bit of a more settled side, which might give them the opportunity to um, to play. I'm not sort of trying to say Fabio Vieira hasn't had his moments, which of course he has. And I'm not saying that it's just because of the Europa League, he hasn't done quite as well as we would have liked. But that that idea that you've got basically two teams for two competitions goes out of the window with the Champions League. I think that's right, yeah. And I think that that is a shame for a lot of the young players who are kind of striving to get through now. And it does become that bit harder for them, doesn't it? Because the opportunities just aren't there in the same way. Absolutely right. Unless you're completely, unless you've secured safe passage in the group stage, I mean, in the last couple of games, you're really not in a position where you can do that. And probably it, it kind of, it, it means you do have to think about streamlining your, your squad, don't you? And that's obviously what Man City have done and what they do with Pep Guardiola. They have a fairly tight group of players who they rotate freely, but they're not, you know, it's not a, it's not in any way a bloated squad. And, and probably that's something that Mikel Arteta will be thinking about because you don't want to have a, you don't want to have a clutch of players who, who just aren't getting minutes at all and, and aren't happy because that is not a healthy scenario necessarily for the for the group so that's something else we're going to have to think about in the transfer window isn't it as well as potential signings it's who are you going to kind of cut loose essentially who are you going to sacrifice as they as they take this next step in in their development because you know it's not just qualifying for the Champions League this season Arsenal are now you know I think we can we can say that this is a this is you know that they want to be regular fixtures in the Champions League again and to me, it looks like everything is in place to make sure that happens, you know, in terms of the, the age of the squad and the decision making that's going on, the alignment between the manager and the sporting director. So I think this is their place, you know, they're, they're reclaiming their place in the Champions League and barring any sort of um, dramatic change of fortunes, they should be there for a while. So they have to adapt accordingly. And, and yeah, that is potentially bad news for some of those 
young players who become more reliant on the, the domestic cups, perhaps. But yeah, the U- Europa League was, was very, very useful in that regard. And a lot of those players you mentioned probably wouldn't be where they are now if they hadn't had those opportunities. Would you have any worries about the the fact that Arsenal haven't been in it for so long? Because when you think back to Arsene Wenger and his time at the club and Arsenal won the double in 98 into the Champions League and Champions League football became a fixture, something we, I don't want to say took for granted, but it was there every single season for however many seasons it was, 18, 19 seasons, year after year, sometimes towards the end a little more precariously than it was in in other seasons. But when you think about the players and the quality of the players and the quality of some of those teams... It did take them a while to adjust to European football. There were defeats or or performances or things that the team couldn't quite get to grips with on a, on a technical level. Is that or would it be a worry now? Or do you think now there is such experience across the club, um, you know, from the manager with many of these players as well who've played um, European football, that it wouldn't be quite the quite the challenge it was back then? Yeah, I don't think it would be quite as difficult, maybe. I think maybe the the kind of the way football has gone, you know, it's all slightly more, um, you know, playing in Europe no longer feels like this kind of alien experience. Mm. Um, I think the, the thing with Arsenal in, in Europe is, I don't know, it just feels to me like something they've just never quite cracked, really, certainly in the, in the Premier League era. You, mm. know, you think about, you know, the, the challenge of trying to balance both Premier League and Champions League has never been something that they've really successfully done. As you say, it's, mm. you know, you think about the team that reached the final, obviously in, in 2006, very, very difficult season domestically. You know, it's the, it's the, the, the question of whether you can balance both and sort of succeed on both fronts that is really challenging because you don't want to find yourself in the Champions League and suddenly see that your, your Premier League form deteriorates. I think that's what Arsenal have to avoid. Um, but in terms of adapting to the level or, or the, the the style, I'm, I'm not sure that that is maybe as big a challenge as it might have been before. Mm. Mikel Arteta has talked often about the need for players to be able to play at a high level every three or four days. And, you know, I think as fans, we look at rest and rotation in a very, very different way from the way players do, and certainly from the way Mikel Arteta does. Is that sort of setting the ground or the the, the foundations, excuse me, for, for what he's going to demand from these players next season? Because I, I think your point about Man City is a really interesting one, that it isn't a huge squad. They can make six changes, but the six changes that come in are household names, they're, they're established first-team players, no matter how you look at it, whatever way he rotates, it's like, okay, well, maybe that's slightly weaker in that position, but they've gone stronger there. You know, it is about getting this uh, this group tight, but also raising the level of players that come in. So if and when you do make changes, it doesn't feel quite as drastic as perhaps some of the some of the decisions or, or uh, selection decisions that Mikel Arteta has had to make this season because of injuries. Yeah, yeah. He, he said in... Um in his press conference the other day, I think it was after the Chelsea game, he said that he's, you know, he's had to squeeze absolutely everything out of the players this season. You know, I think he, on the one hand, he is, yeah, he is trying to prepare these players for playing, you know, three times a week and getting used to that rhythm. But at the same time, he doesn't, he doesn't have much choice in it, does he? You know, Mm. if he doesn't play Bukayo Saka, then the team is significantly weaker and that's just the reality. And, 
you know, fortunately, he's been able to call on these players who are who have shown tremendous kind of robustness and resistance to injury. Saka being a prime example, but um, I think I don't know if that approach is sustainable. Really, that, that's the that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, the squad has to change to cope with with two serious serious competitions like that. Um, but yeah, he can take encouragement certainly from the way in which certain players have, have managed to maintain their level while playing almost every game this season. You know, I think Arsenal have sort of six or seven players who've played over 30 Premier League games this season. Mm. You know, it's a huge ask of them, but maybe it, to a degree it will help prepare them for what's to come, you know, for the for the fixtures that are to come next season. The idea of um, players playing fewer minutes while maintaining the level is always, it feels like, what every manager is going to strive for. So you keep a level of freshness and and uh, zip, if you like, within the squad, within their legs. But there are also positions where it's really difficult to rotate centre half, for example. You know, you can think about fullbacks. How many options do I have at fullback? Yeah, I can play this guy in this game and this guy in that game, and it works better. But when you're trying to develop partnerships, that's a little more difficult, isn't it? When you're when you're a manager, is like, okay, well, these two guys work really well together. I'm not quite sure how these two guys are going to work together. You know, if you've got like so-called second choices, is it about trying to ultimately close the gap between those first and on paper second choices? So you're comfortable with whoever you play, wherever you play them. When you think about the Manchester City backline at this moment in time, I think you know, not that they're weak. But I think over the years they have, they've had their comings and goings from the defensive yeah. area of their squad, and you can look at some of the players and go like, Ooh, yeah, okay, that guy wasn't that, that guy wasn't great." But when you look at what they've got across there right now, even when they signed Nathan Ake, I was like, "Really, Nathan Ake from from Bournemouth? Really?" <laughs> and he's turned out to be, you know, absolutely outstanding for them. So. That that closing of the gap between these first and second choice players is is going to be part of it as well, for sure, for sure. But then also, I think it's um, it's almost sort of dangerous to compare too much to Man City, isn't it? Because what they are capable of doing is yeah. beyond what Arsenal are capable of doing. So you know, they they are a kind of anomaly in that sense. You know, to have whatever six, seven, eight defenders of the level that they have who can pretty much play across the back line. All of them is extraordinary. I mean, there's no other team in the world who can do that. So, you know, Arteta has to find ways around that and do things differently. You know, he has spoken in the past quite a lot about the need to kind of, um, to innovate, you know, and to do things their own way. I remember asking him in an interview last season about, you know, what, what he felt he could maybe learn from how Liverpool built themselves up to get into that position of challenging for titles and champions leagues. And he was pretty sort of, you know, dismissive of it, really. You know, mm. it, it, his view is very much that what they did is irrelevant to us. You know, of course, there are some lessons there, but ultimately you have to find your own way. You have to innovate and find solutions in, in ways that other other clubs don't. And maybe that, that applies in the transfer market, doesn't it, with some of the players Arsenal pick up, you know, like Kiwior, for example, coming in from, from kind of nowhere, really, in, in mm. January and someone you sort of gamble on, um, but you 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 give the coaching and the support and you see the talent there and you try and hone it as best you can and get him up to that level. And he will obviously, you know, he's coming in on a, you'd think a far lower wage than someone who you signed from a rival Premier League team. So, you know, there are 
ways in which Arsenal can try to replicate what Man City do, but you know they have to be very inventive and very innovative, which I think is 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 key for Arteta, and I think that is ultimately something that really defines him as a coach. You know, you yeah. speak to anyone who kind of knows him professionally, personally, and and they all talk about that willingness to innovate and to 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 strive for improvement. I think a lot of it probably comes from from working with Pep. You know, Pep is obviously constantly evolving that team and striving to do things differently and keeping things fresh. And I think, um, you know, although Arteta doesn't really like to compare himself to Pep too much, he, understandably, he's his own, he's his own manager, but there's definitely things he's taken from, from him, aren't there in that sense. And he is always, you know, he's very open to, to learning and, 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 and sort of, you know, doing things differently. You know, I've sure. spoken to people who he did his badges with, for example, his coaching badges in, in Wales, and they all say the same thing. You know, he was so hungry to learn in that environment on that course. You know, he didn't come to it as an ex-player who just wanted to make the step into management. He saw it as an opportunity to build himself as a coach, you know, completely separately to his playing career. So, you know, these things are all quite key, I think, with, with his project at Arsenal, this desire to kind of... Um, do things differently and, and innovate and constantly um, find different solutions. He is clearly determined to instill a culture at the football club, right? Where the standards are raised across the board. And, you know, we, we've talked about this on the podcast. I'm sure you've written about it as well, where, you know, where Arsenal are now compared to where, uh, uh, where they were when Mikel Arteta took over, you know, are two very different places, right? And a lot of that is down to to the kind of work that he's put in. But that drive to raise those standards, you, you talk about needing to innovate when you're trying to compete with Manchester City, not just on a footballing basis, but a financial basis. And, and it sounds absurd at times, doesn't it, to talk about, well, how can Arsenal with their lowly little billionaire compete with Manchester City. <laughs> exactly. You know, it is... We, it is, we are still talking about billionaires. Yeah, exactly. It just... It, it, it feels absurd, but we all know that there is a difference. We all know there's a yeah. a, a huge gulf in, in spending power and all the rest of it. But that then can be the thing that drives you to try new things or to experiment or to, you know, as you say... Maybe you can't buy the finished article, but you can make the finished article on on the training ground. Exactly, and you can lean on your academy as well, and that's been a huge yeah. part of things for for Arsenal as well, hasn't it? And you, you know, fingers crossed that continues. Certainly, um, that's something that Arteta places at the heart of things, isn't it? And that's something that you you suspect will will continue. And that is just such an obvious way of of supplementing your team. You know, I mean, what a, what is Bukayo Saka worth now? I mean. It, it doesn't bear thinking about, you know, it's an incredible financially, you know, as well as everything else, it's just an incredible, um, incredible win for the club, you know, mm. to develop these players. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge part of it as well, for sure. You mentioned Bakayo Saka, so let's talk about him and talk about the news in inverted comma that his contract is just about done and it's ready to be announced and, and all the rest of it. We're recording on Thursday mid-afternoon, as yet nothing has been announced. I don't know when it's happening, but it feels like one of those things that the minute we talk about it, um, it'll be it'll drop and then this will be, <laughs> out, it'll be out of date. But it is hugely important, isn't it, for Arsenal to 
secure the future of a player who is basically the jewel in the crown of of our academy. He he has come through, developed at 21 years of age. There is not a team across Europe who wouldn't want Bakayo Saka at this moment in time if they could afford him. And, and with a year left on his contract, it puts him and his agent and everybody else in, in, in a strong negotiating position, which, you know, it's a short career as a footballer. I don't begrudge any player looking to maximize their, their earning potential or anything like it. So it's been an interesting one from an Arsenal perspective to to have this young man who has died in the wool Arsenal, who is a huge part of this team, who we want as the cornerstone of the team going forward. But at the same time, having done a lot of work to shed the excess, I guess you would say, of, of previous contracts and big deals that didn't work out the way we would have liked with certain players and all that, they now have to deal with a guy who quite rightly can turn around and say, well, look at what this guy's on. Look at what that guy's on. Look at what this guy's on across the Premier League. And you can balance it out however you want. We're not as rich as Man City and we're not as stupid as Manchester United or Chelsea when it comes to doling out contracts, right? But there's still a demand to be met there. And that's the challenge, isn't it, of... of not just developing a world-class player, but hanging on to a world-class player and convincing them that their place uh, at the football club is, is it's where they should be, but also where they are valued and that their talent is, is appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think probably Arsenal have kind of, you know, factored this in to their, to their thinking. You know, I think, you know, a lot of the work done in the first few years under Arteta was to kind of get that wage bill right down, you know, and, paying off those big contracts was a part of that. Mm. What's the term they um, they use in succession? The, the golden parachutes, you know, there's, there's been a few <laughs> of those, hasn't there? And yeah. It's kind of a necessary thing to to, to just move on and, and start afresh. And so what they did by doing that is, of course, lower the wage bill to a point where there is then, you know, there is then room to bring it back up again um, mm. for when you do qualify for the Champions League. Because the reality is when you're playing in the Champions League, you, you're going to have to pay Champions League wages. And These guys are going to be on a bonus as well this season. Well, they'll exactly, be part of the yeah. contracts. They'll be like, get get into the Champions League. Here is your bonus, whether it's a one-off or whether it's a salary increase in the next year's contract, whatever it is. Those bonuses are going to be part and parcel of what Arsenal have to deal with now. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that that's it. And, and you know... I, What's interesting, I think, from from an Arsenal perspective, and, and maybe people will disagree, but, you know, in the past, I feel like you've always gone into the summers, you know, thinking or worrying, you know, that you're, that Arsenal's best players could, could, could leave, you know, could be poached. I, I feel like that, that anxiety, may, I mean, I know people want to get Saka tied down, Saliba, you know, get these guys tied down, but I feel like that level of anxiety is not what it was when in the days of kind of Fabregas van Persie, you know. Sanchez, Henri, you know, when you really felt like it was almost inevitable that these guys would 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 be taken away, um, and that probably says a lot about the, you know, the the belief they have in in the project. You know, I feel like the the players are are very happy at Arsenal generally, and that's that's the impression certainly that that you get from this group, isn't it? And and they believe that they can achieve what they want to achieve there, um, and I think for Arsenal's part, they. They then have to step up and you know and and ensure that they are there by by giving them the the contracts that um that their their kind of quality sort of um 
demands, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's much easier to keep players at a football club when A, they're happy, and B, you're in a team that looks like it's uh, going places or is competitive. Whatever happens between now and, and the end of the season, it's only a couple of weeks away, and we're all keeping fingers crossed for some kind of uh, miracle to occur. Um, there's no question that Arsenal are now a competitive team, that the ambition to win the Premier League. I remember a couple of years ago, we had a question on the Arscast Extra, myself and James, we were asked, you know, do you see Arsenal winning the Premier League within the next five years or something? It was like, I don't think so. And here we are a couple of years later, and that's not unrealistic. Difficult, yeah. of course, as we've seen this season, that there's no very little margin for error very little margin for error in the Premier League compared to some of the other leagues. But it doesn't feel unrealistic that that Arsenal could do it. And and Saka as um as a key part of that is is gonna be it's sort of how do I say this properly? When you think about, like you say, going into the summer if you're going into the summer with Bakayo Saka tied down to a new contract, Gabriel Martinelli's signed a new contract this season. Um, Gabriel signed a new contract this season. There's talk that Aaron Ramsdale is about to sign a new contract. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if there was a new contract for Ben White, um, given that he and Aaron Ramsdale signed at the same time and have emerged in much the same way. I think they're both extremely important players. So if you're giving Ramsdale a new deal, then I don't see why you wouldn't try and give Ben White a new deal. Also, uh, that then might play into the negotiation with someone like William Saliba, where you're going, look, all your mates are here. This is a club that's going places. This is a team that's going places. Why would you want to be anywhere else? You've got years left in your career. If PSG come knocking in three, four years... Give it some thought then, but now this has got to be the place for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been said that Arsenal, you know, they, they might not get a better chance than this to win the league in 10 years, you know, 20 years, whatever. I, I don't really agree with that just because of, as we said before, you know, the, the kind of setup as it is at the moment and the, the, the age and the, the quality of the players. I, I feel like everything's in place for something quite special, you know, potentially, certainly to be challenging up there for longer than this season alone. So I think the players clearly get a sense of that as well. And, and they they feel that as well. I mean, yeah, those players you mentioned, I'm, I'm sure Arsenal have plans for all of them. You know, Ben White, I mean, what a fantastic season he's had. What a signing he's been, you know, big transfer fee. But again, you're signing him from a, a lesser club. So his wages are probably on the lower side, aren't they? And mm. again, that's an example of Arsenal kind of, you know, doing things within their means. Um, but he's been he's been absolutely incredible in that right-back role and no one really saw that coming. And, you know, if you talk about Saka this season, I think you also have to talk about Ben White because I think his his role in the team has been absolutely crucial for Saka, hasn't it, I mean, yeah. in terms of the support he gets. We, we have data at Sky where we can look at the number of um, overlapping and underlapping runs made by players in the Premier League. And Ben White's done... Um, he's made 156 overlapping runs in the Premier League, which is the second most in the division after only um, Purvis Estupinian at, at Brighton. And, you know, what what interests me seeing that was, you know, 
I think probably the majority of those times, or at least a good chunk of those times, he's not even getting the ball, yeah, yeah. you know, but it, it's kind of a decoy for, for Saka to, to allow him to, you know, isolate his defender, to take someone away, to give him a bit more space. And, you know, that's the thing about Saka as well. The team is just set up to get the best out of him. And it feels like that's the case for a number of those players. You know, I would say the same for Odegaard, for even for Xhaka this season, for Martinelli on the other side. You know, the way the team has been configured is so so clever really so smart and um and it's all uh and i think that is almost a problem you know when you lose someone like saliba because the impact the knock-on effects can be kind of felt right across the team and and that is uh something that arsenal need to sort of um prepare for you know to to ensure that the drop-off from from as we've talked about for the the starters to the to the maybe secondary squad players is is not so big because it's it's so important to have that chemistry and that collective strength yeah i mean you 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 wrote a great article about saliba and, and his absence on arsenal which we we talked about uh on the podcast uh a few weeks back yes. uh, another thing that sort of interests me or, or makes me wonder about these new deals is the fact that you know when arsenal think about the transfer market this summer the level of player that they want to bring in and need to bring in is increasingly higher because you're having to compete uh, you know on at least two big fronts with Premier League and Champions League and you still have the cup competitions as well when Arsenal hand new deals to these players like Aaron Ramsdale hopefully Ben White uh, and the other guys that we have mentioned do you think in some ways it's sort of setting or preparing them for like if you go after Declan Rice high-profile England international who's going to cost maybe £100 million, right? We're just throwing that out there. We saw some figures during the week about West Ham, how they want £120 million or £100 million plus a player, whatever it is, right? That's sort of the benchmark. And, and you can understand it if, if Shakhtar Donetsk can say, well, Manchester United paid £90 million for Anthony, so we want £100 million for Mudrick. West Ham can go, well, you know, we could easily ask for £100 million for for Declan Rice. So the transfer market is skewed in so many ways. But the reality is if you're bringing in Declan Rice, there's also a link to Mason Mount, you know, who's another established England international. I'm not, I'm not saying Arsenal should or are going to sign him. But when these guys come in, they're going to come in on big transfer fees and big wages. So unless you sort of pre prepare, I guess, your squad for that financial disparity that might exist between, let's say, a Ben White on the right and a Declan Rice in midfield, that's something you've got to be cognizant of when you're squad building too, isn't it? That you can't have this guy here who has just arrived, and we all know that reasons why transfers are big, but a guy who's been doing it for you for a couple of years and has been one of your best players the previous season all of a sudden is earning 25% or 50% or whatever it is, half as much as like this guy coming in. That That's the sort of thing that clubs have to be mindful of. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the other thing is that these benchmarks, the fees are just rising and rising every window almost, aren't they, with, with some of the deals we're seeing. So, you know, you can prepare all you want for the future, but you should probably start adding a few zeros because the way things are going, it's just getting um, getting more and more obscene. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, some of the names you mentioned, I think Arsenal do need to be looking in that kind of bracket, don't they? I mean, someone like Declan Rice, 
I mean, he would be fantastic for Arsenal. I think I think that would be an incredible signing. But then it's, you know, the club then have to consider, you know, if we pay a hundred million for this player, you know, we're gonna are we gonna have to do this again? You know, do you know what I mean? Mm. It becomes a bit of a. It, there are lots of factors and things to factor into it. So. Um, it's a it's a really tricky one. I think in certain cases, maybe you just have to make an exception and, and pay the money. Um, and I, I wonder if Arteta and Arsenal will feel that way about someone like Declan Rice because I do think there's just so much he could give the team. Um, but yeah, I don't envy them having to make those decisions and the, the amounts of money are just obscene. And obviously, we talk about transfer fees before we even consider the wages and the um, the bonuses and everything else involved. So yeah, it's a huge huge sums of money. Payments to agents and and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, this is this is a consequence of of being good again. Um, so it's a trade off, yeah, isn't it? You know, you can you can sort of coast <laughs> along play paying average players average wages if you want, but you're finishing eighth or you're finishing seventh or maybe you're getting into the Europa League. But nobody wants that. Fans yeah. don't want that. The players, the club, the manager, they don't want that. So I'm sure this is factored into uh, into all their planning. Um, Let's talk about a couple of players. First, Martin Odegaard, who you have a piece coming out on. It should be out Friday. We're talking Thursday. And it's going to be hopefully published Friday on, on Sky Sports. What's your, without spoiling the article for anybody, what's, your, what's, what's the, the key takeaway that you've got from Martin Odegaard this season? Well, I mean, it, I mean he's just a player who I absolutely love mm. um, watching. Um, I seem to find myself writing about him whenever I um, I watch Arsenal. You know, it's it's borderline. You know, it's, it's getting ridiculous, really. But um, yeah, he's just a fantastic player, isn't he? And I think he's it's always been clear the level of technical ability he has um, since he's been at Arsenal. I mean, Arteta's absolutely loved him since he walked through the door. I think when he's been asked about Odegaard, even at points when maybe he hadn't really convinced a lot of fans, you know, he was he's just been so gushing about his ability and. You know, really purring almost about his not literally purring, of course, but um, you know, really, really positive about him. And clearly, there's a real, real affinity for what he gives the team, and a real, a real, um, you know, he, he loves the guy. But I mean, obviously, what's interesting this season is just the amount of goals he's scoring. You know, I mean, he's he's his output has just completely exploded, hasn't it? Fifteen goals, incredible. It's it's more if you take out penalties, it's more than sort of Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard ever managed in a single season. It, it puts him right up there with um with the top midfielders in the Premier League in terms of in terms of goals scored. Um and I think it's been a kind of gradual process um for Arteta and the coaching staff. I think basically they always wanted him to to kind of embrace this more attacking role. You know, I remember speaking to Arteta it was last season, probably about a year ago in, in March of last season, and he talked about how when Odegaard came to Arsenal he was he was basically more comfortable receiving the ball in, in deeper areas and facing the play, you know, sort of dictating things and controlling things. Um, but he always felt he was more effective further forward and, and you know, playing around the around the opposition box. And, and that's been a big part of what they've tried to do with Odegaard, hasn't it? And we're seeing that more and more. And I think this season, having Zinchenko come in and able to play in that kind of midfield role at the, at the base of midfield has allowed Odegaard even more to kind of push forward and concentrate more on, on that side of things. And yeah, his, um, he's having more shots, more touches in the box. You know, his, um, he's still, his long-range shooting is obviously such a weapon, isn't it? And we mm. saw that again against Newcastle. But 
he's getting a lot more shots inside the box as well. I think the percentage outside the box has dropped from 60% of his shots last season to sort of 48% this season. So there's a much more of an emphasis on affecting the game in the box. And he's just, he seems to have embraced it and taken to it really naturally. He now looks like a real natural goal scorer, um, which is great. And I think when the club make a decision to sign Gabriel Jesus, for example, you know, I know a lot of work went into that signing into the data science team were really active in trying to show how much he would give the side and, and all this. There was loads of work went into it. And obviously it's been a really, really successful signing. You know, he's, he's made such a difference. But I think signing Gabriel Jesus as well, you probably appreciate that the finishing is not necessarily going to be, at, you know, consistently ruthless. You know, mm. I think probably the, the club always hoped that with more regular playing time and with the right conditions, he would produce that. But it's not necessarily his game. So really, Arsenal did need their, their supporting forwards, their midfielders, to contribute more goals. And and uh, that's what that's what they've done. You know, not just Odegaard as well. A number of those players have just really, really um, increased what they've produced in front of goal. And, and Arsenal have, are in a great position. Yeah, there's a, this uh, quotes from two years ago, uh, from March 2021, Mikel Arteta talking about Martin Odegaard saying um, his work rate's phenomenal. He could improve a lot, um, which is getting into the opponent's box and being more decisive. It's something that if he adds that to his game, he becomes a real complete player. And I'm, um, my brain is telling me that was during the loan spell, right? March yeah, 2021. Yeah. yeah. And then they signed him. We signed him permanently in Absolutely. that summer. So it was something that Mikel Arteta saw very, very early on. And there were, I guess, some hints about that in the earlier parts of his career, not necessarily at Real Madrid, but at Real Sociedad, he had a season where he scored seven goals and got nine assists. And he had a, a loan spell with Vitesse. Um, and I know people might say, well, you know, that's the level, but he was still only 19 at that point where he scored 11 goals and made 13 assists in that season. So the productivity was there. I guess it was about tapping into that at a higher level and, you know, credit to Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff and everything else that they've done to, to sort of work on that with him. But ultimately you've got to give huge credit to the player as well you know, sometimes you've got to take a player out of their comfort zone a little bit to get the best out of them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and he's, I think the key is that he's responded so well to it. You know, he's obviously embraced the change and he's thrown himself into it and, and he's really reveling in it. And, you know, yeah, I think nine of his, um, nine of his 15 goals this season have been first time from inside the box, which sort of indicates that he's got that knack for getting into those positions and he's not a player who kind of over elaborates is he 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 does just um he's very effective and that's now evident inside the box as well as in his passing and his you know the way he was linking play before this season so yeah it's been a a big big change and a crucial change i think for the team and and yeah I've, I've, yeah love love watching it really do you think Maybe it goes a little bit under the radar as well that not only is he producing what he's producing, but he's also doing it as as captain of the team because that's a responsibility as well. Yeah. Uh, I know we're quite lucky, I guess, in in that Arsenal seem to have within the squad now a number of what you would call natural leaders. And 
there's different ways of doing that and different ways of demonstrating that. And you can talk about Gabriel Jesus and, and Alexander Zinchenko, the way that they've come in and, and made a change in the dressing room. That's something people have talked about. Granite Xhaka, another one. Um, Gabriel, I think, at the back is, is another player like that. But Odegaard is kind of a, a quieter version. And look, like every player, he has days where he's not on it. And I think quite often, what well, you know, the days that he is not quite at his best often tally with the days when Arsenal collectively aren't quite at their best. Yeah. Um, I don't really know 100% how to interpret that uh, in terms of making a, a conclusion from that. But for the most part, you know, he is he is a player who looks to drive the team both in terms of what he does on the ball, whether it's in front of goal or how he presses from the front, how he combines play, as we saw against Newcastle as well, not just the goal that he scored. And again, he's still only 24 years of age. And to have that responsibility in a team where, let's say, half of them are quite young, the other half are not not old, but you know, you've got guys who've been there and done that, like Zin- Zinchenko and Jesus and Xhaka and Partey and these guys. You know, to have that kind of quiet authority, I think, is is an interesting aspect to Martin Odegaard that doesn't really get discussed too much. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, he's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's had a career path that's sort of unlike anyone else's in, in football, yeah, you know. Yeah. To have that level of expectation and hype around you at 16 and then for things to not quite go as hoped and then to have to go sort of to a lower level and build yourself back up like that, all those loan spells, like you mentioned, going to Holland and you know, it's, it's, it t- took a lot of perseverance, mental strength, you know, an ability to kind of shut out the noise and, and not listen to the criticism. I think all that, he had to demonstrate that more than, you know, any other player really. Um, so he's got that extraordinary kind of ability to to kind of handle things. And he does it in a very understated way, doesn't he? And, mm. and I think, like you say, that does l- l- sort of lend him to going under the radar a little bit. But um no, he has got criticism, hasn't he, after some of the games, you know, the Man City game, for example, he got a bit of criticism, didn't he? And people do question his record in, in those big games. I mean, I don't know. It's, it is a tricky one, isn't it? Like you say, you don't know, you know, it, it's kind of linked to the performances of the team. It, it, is his performance what leads to the struggles of the team or is it the other way around? It's hard to say for sure. But, mm. you know, at the same time, you look at his some of his contributions this season. I mean, he, he sort of... He scored against Tottenham, Chelsea, you know, Newcastle. These big, big games where Arsenal mm. needed him to step up. He has done that a lot. You know, he he sort of single-handedly dragged them to a point against Southampton, although it was not what anyone wanted. You know, he 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 kept he going. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he has that willingness to get on the ball, and you know, he may not be like a blood and thunder leader, but he is. He's someone who leads by example, isn't he? He does. Um, He's very brave on the ball and, and um, he's always willing to take responsibility, I think, although some people may may say that maybe there are examples where he hasn't done that. Um, but I think generally, yeah, he's, um, he's, uh, he's, uh, he leads in his way. And as you say, that he's not the only one who, who needs to demonstrate leadership. You know, there are other players who can chip in with that. And the other thing I think is worth mentioning is that I think his captaincy is quite a powerful symbol. You know, I think it's quite deliberate, really. You know, he kind of embodies the team, but 
but also to get the captaincy at what he was probably 23 when 23, he got the captaincy, yeah, yeah. maybe, you know, to get the captaincy at a top team at the age of 23. I mean, that is a big message, isn't it, about the club? It's, it's we trust young players, we build around young players. Look what we've done with, with Odegaard. If you're good enough, we will give you mm. the responsibility. And that is something that will then transmit to young players all over the world. And Arsenal want to be a club who the best players want to join. And if the best young players see guys like Odegaard giving the captain's armband, guys like Saka, you know, being the most important player in the team, then that that is powerful, I think, as well. So I think there are lots of different facets to it. And I don't think being the captain means you are solely responsible for leading the team. So, yeah, I, I think um, he, he does the job well in, in his way. Yeah, no, I agree. And look... Uh... I find it hard to suggest that a guy who's got 15 goals and eight assists and who knows how many of the fabled pre-assists he has to his name or moves that he started. <laughs> yeah, the Alex Clare pre-assists. You know, it, it seems a bit much to suggest that he hasn't taken responsibility. I think there are certainly games where, you know, he and others can improve him, but that's always that's always the case. Um but, you know, let's hope he can add a few more goals and a couple of more assists between now and the end of the season because he's, he's put up such, such such excellent numbers. Let's just finally talk about Granit Xhaka because he is, um, you know, he's probably having his best season at Arsenal. But there are stories this week about a move back to Germany. Is it Bayer Leverkusen, I think, who've been linked with him? Yeah, yeah I did see that. Yeah. Um, you know, he is... I guess you would say aging out, like every player who goes over 30. There comes a point where, you know, you have to make a decision about their future, whether their value to the team is is as much as their value that they might bring in in, in the transfer market. I have to say, for me, it would be a huge surprise if after everything that has happened, the year that Arsenal get back into the uh, Champions League, Granit Xhaka... Yeah. departs and says, look, I, I don't want to be part of this. I'm happy to go back to Germany to play for, you know, with all due respect, a, a club that aren't going to be competing at, at, at that kind of level. It would be a real shock to me. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I agree. And I think Arsenal would miss him as well, actually. You know, I think we probably saw that against Southampton, you know, in terms of his, his calming influence and his leadership. I think that was missed against Southampton when he wasn't available. You know, he... Um, Arsenal kind of all over the place, weren't they, for the first half of that game at least. And mm. I was watching thinking that he was, he was, you know, his absence was quite quite costly in that game. And I, I do think that's something that Arsenal would need to replace, that kind of, you know, that's a big part of why Arteta likes him so much, you know, his his uh, his role as a leader in the team. And, and, you know, in addition to everything he gives them, I think that is uh, that is something to consider. I mean, I guess the other side of it is that, Arsenal are going to have to make changes to their squad, aren't they? To yeah. you know, you can't just sign players and not sell any players. You have to, um, you do have to make changes. And Arteta is quite kind of ruthless with his decision making, isn't he? And 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 perhaps you know, Arsenal will look at it and think, well, maybe this is our last chance or one of our last chances to get a decent fee for Granit Xhaka. You know, maybe maybe now is the time. I mean, these are the decisions they're going to have to make about a number of players, not just Granit Xhaka. Um, but yeah, I agree. It would be a surprise because he's played such an important role in getting the club back to where they are. You know, he's been through so much, hasn't he? And, mm. and it would be a shame if he left before it really gets going. Um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, he's he's got good numbers as well this season. And um, like Odegaard, let's hope he can uh, add to those in these final three games ahead. But look, we better leave it there for now. Nick, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. 
Thanks, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Thank you very much indeed to Nick Wright. He writes features, many of which are about Arsenal for Sky Sports. And you can follow him on Twitter. He is at Nicholas P. Wright, at Nicholas P. Wright. Now, I told you a bit earlier on, we do have a bit of a competition for you. With thanks to our friends from a store like 94, we've got two black and gold Bakayo Saka t-shirts to give away. All you have to do is go to a store like 94.co.uk. That's 94 in that. A store like 94.co.uk. Go there. Tell me what it says on the back of the Bakayo Saka black and gold t-shirt. Please email the answer to competition at arsblog.com. That is competition at arsblog.com. We will pick two winners at random and announce them on next week's show. In the meantime, if you'd like to buy something from the store, you can. There's a discount code ARSBLOG, which gives you a discount on any of the t-shirts on the store. So it's a store like 94.co.uk. Get your competition entries in and you could be the wearer of that, the winner and the wearer of that black and gold, very cool Bakayo Saka t-shirt. Right, I'm going to leave it there for now. We will, of course, give you a Premier League preview podcast over on Patreon, looking ahead to our very important game against Brighton on Sunday. You can sign up right now to get instant access to that and all the other content that we have over on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. For now, take it easy. Thank you so much as ever for being here. Thank you for downloading, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for just putting us in your ears yet again. We do appreciate it so much. So until the next one, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Mikel Arteta! I have to commend you on what has been a very good season for Arsenal. Despite the fact that we were leading so long and had a bit of a blip at the worst time, throwing away our best chance at a title for such a long time, I have enjoyed this season quite a lot and I have connected to this team of young buccaneering gooners like they were one of the successful teams from the past that I always wish we could go back to. I have had very little cause to be angry. And that makes me absolutely furious! I demand that you are successful, but shit at the same time! Basically the football equivalent of Nickelback! Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit!